Hey team, it's Matt Drinkon here. And you might have heard, my brand new book releases on Amazon on March 8th. It's been a labor of love that I think can really help you navigate some of the challenges you're experiencing in your own life. I go over toxic positivity and how to think you're in it for everyone else. In reality, you're in it for yourself. And I express that through this entire book and help learn from our own mistakes and how to turn the lens on ourselves and ask good questions. So go to Amazon on March 8th and you can get the Kindle version for only 99 cents. Just search for the book title, The Eternal Optimist. It's never too late. And you can download it directly to your device. That's it for me. Let's get into today's episode. And welcome to another exciting episode of the Eternal Optimist Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Drinkon, and I am here today with someone who is incredibly special in a number of ways. Jason Mark Campbell is not only a person of great repute in the sales world for having a podcast, one of the top podcasts in the whole world, Selling with Love, and he has a book, and he's recording this right now in Indonesia, where he lives, so he is all around just He's a badass, I mean, to be quite frank, and he's humble, so he may not say that all. He is amazing, and he's gonna share some stories about some of the hardest stuff he's been through, some sales things. It's gonna be fun today to see where we go. So without any further ado, I'd like to uh, welcome Mr. Jason Mark Campbell. Jason, how are you, my friend? Matt, it's a pleasure to be here. And yeah, you're, I feel like you're trying to label me with honey badger vibes, which I'm all good for. But it's late night, but doing podcasts are fun, getting a chance to chat and to share. And the fact that you're an eternal optimist already means that we're cut from the same cloth. We're going to have a good time. Heck yes, baby. I like that. I like that. In fact, I feel that genuinely any conversation that is where the magic happens. And we could go in with this preconceived notion that, man, this is going to be a hard one. And if you go with that, we're already setting ourselves up for failure. So I, I just think about going into every conversation with an optimistic attitude that this, some magic could happen. It's really interesting what you're sharing. There are some of the key like sales principles that you've heard the masters talk about like day in and day out. So if you've picked up any kind of sales books talking about like positive expectation, you're referencing and quoting Zig Ziglar's or Brian Tracy, even like positive expectation, positive attitude, even Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, like all of those legends all talk about why the power of positive expectation is actually going to be the winning edge you can have in any field. But what's quite interesting is if you're in the field of sales, it's very measurable to see the difference. Like the feedback is actually quite immediate. And I consider myself fortunate because I find not only in sales, but in a lot of areas of my life, I seem to have this like rapid feedback call it a manifestation slash karma in a lot of different areas. And I'll break it down like this. If I spend two weeks eating crap and not working out, I'm going to get chubby real quick, instant manifestation, instant feedback. And to me, that's really good because the moment I do hit the gym and I start doing good habits, I see myself getting in shape. I see myself losing weight. I feel good instantly. And, it, and that gives me that quick feedback. And I find sales has a bit of that special magic for everyone that gets into the field is if you start doing a, something, you test it out, you'll pretty quickly see if it's serving you or not. And if we're talking about positive expectation in every conversation you're about to have with a podcast host or with a prospect or in any sales situation, gosh, going into an interview, if you're just trying to get a job with a positive expectation, test it. Don't take my word for it. Don't take your word for it. Like it's one of those things you can actually get a pretty quick feedback loop on if it's serving you or not. 
And I've heard a lot of others saying, oh yeah, it's just your reticular activation system. It's just tell you like, okay, buy a yellow car and then you start noticing them all on the road. That's okay because you start getting a little bit more enthusiastic when you start going, ooh, another positive expectation. Maybe I do have control over my fate. And whether it's real or not, the fact that you believe it seems to alter the outcome. So why not use it? 100%. I, whenever I have conversation with someone who is as studied and, and articulate as you are in the sales field, I'm looking for questions I might ask myself to go and, and, and write down and think with. And Is this serving me or not? You know, do you walk into any scenario, but specifically in a sales scenario, do you walk in and think about the delivery? And is this serving me or not? Is this technique working? Is the way I'm showing up working or not? Test it, trial it out. I think so many people who think about sales as this place that, man, you're just going to face a lot of rejection. I mean, they might have the mindset wrong, shift the mindset. This is not rejection. This is the greatest opportunity to learn how you show up with instant karma feedback from the prospect or the person you're speaking with. And I, I love this idea of instant feedback of going into an interview going into a prospecting meeting, going into anything with this intentional positivity. I think we're on the same page here. I'm also going to add the fact that as much as it, like, it brings results just from the, the attitude that you show up, because the attitude is going to make a big difference. But there's this interesting thing that I've asked people that maybe at the beginning of their journey and they're having hesitation, maybe the fear of rejection gets in the way and you're not wanting to go have those conversations with people. If you're not looking at having the positive expectation, you don't even prepare for the worst that could happen. And in their case, when I ask, go ask, what's the worst that could happen? Well, they'll say no. I'll be like, no, they'll say yes. And you haven't even prepared for what to do if they do say yes, because you haven't even had a positive expectancy. So when you have the positive expectancy, not only do you have that attitude that helps you close more, but then you'll be like, hey, maybe I should prepare my onboarding. Maybe I should have a really good process after they say yes on how I walk them through the journey, get them to have the product and have a good experience. You don't even think about that if you don't even have the positive expectancy. So what's the worst that could happen? Imagine they say yes, get prepared for the yes. And maybe you'll see when the yes comes, you won't have as much anxiety or fear. Yes. And to build on that, I, I might call this, uh, what is your world-class welcome? So when you do sign them on as a new client, you do get to that next closing meeting or the signature's there. We're ready to go. They say yes. What does it look like from there? If they were a diamond platinum client on top of the mountain and you want to give them the best of what you have, then what button do you push the moment that they say yes and we're onboarding? Like what's the next three steps, for example, that you might have to welcome them in? So their experience when they come in is excellent. Uh, they feel heard, valued. They feel like this team knows what the heck they're doing. And of course, that can lead to a number of things that can lead to, they're going to follow and pay more attention. They're going to be more open to your feedback when they see that you're really good at what you do, that you pay attention. I think more leads will come from it, more referrals will come from it. They'll be more attentive to you. So many things can happen when we go in with this positive expectation. I call it the world-class welcome. I don't know if I got that myself or someone gave that to me. Uh, I, I like to call it the world-class welcome. Collective download yeah. and take it because it serves and that's good. <laughs> Yeah, just it's a it shows your own standards or expectations of excellence when they say yes and you're prepared to show excellence right away. Not oh, now I got to figure out what I just sold them because I remember earlier in my career there were times <laughs> when I would sell something and I didn't even know what the plane looked like, but we were building it as we were selling it. 
I think you, you open to the other side of the coin that it's like, oh my God, you don't want to be paralyzed thinking you need to have everything figured out because you won't really know what it is till you actually do it. So yeah, there's advice that comes from both sides here, but at least if you have that positive expectancy, at least have that trust in yourself so that if you haven't all figured out, like, and this is something for on the other side where people are quite perfectionist. It's think about it. Think about how you show up in the world as a perfectionist. Do you care about the people you're going to serve? Yes. All right. Is it possible that as you're figuring this out, you're going to go the extra mile and you're going to make sure that what you do is going to leave these people in good hands? Are you looking to screw people over? Majority of people are not going in with that intention, especially the ones that seem to struggle with perfectionism actually want to make sure they're taking care of their client. I'm like, if the care is there, take the chance. If the care is there, take the chance because you'll figure it out. You'll go above and beyond. You'll offer some bonuses. If you make a mistake, people will actually be quite forgiving because you care. If we're talking selling with love, that's pretty much it. It's like give a, I'll let you fill in the blank and you'll maybe get a bit more money too. (laughs) Totally agree. Uh, So in this place where we can speak this dance, this language of sales, I feel totally comfortable. I'm like a kid in a candy store right now. Uh, I'd love to go back to uh, Jason Mark Campbell, the rookie. If you could take us back to a time when you were just getting in and you knew that this was going to be for you. When did you know that you were going to be in the sales field in some way? Yeah, it's very interesting because I went to business school and I was trying to find what's the career that I get coming out of college. And I remember going to job fairs and there were some like accelerated management programs. And I think I've almost found myself working in a management training program for a Sherwin-Williams paint store. Like to, And, and n- nothing against that, but it was like, it was so left field. And I was like, what the hell do I want to do? I didn't get it. And some of the experience I had, I didn't realize were fully sales. I was actually working in swimming pool stores and I was actually selling above ground pools, but it wasn't a sales job. I was just like, but I, in hindsight, I was like, oh yeah, that was a total sales job. I loved it. You basically were writing out estimates, filling out contracts. It was good. I loved the deal flow about that, but I didn't actually label it as sales at the time. Find myself having to do uh, a bit of soul searching. What do I do after I graduate? And uh, there was this opportunity to go into a real estate office and I meet with the, the broker and he basically explains to me, he's hearing me talk a bit and he's okay, this guy actually seems to have what it takes to get better at sales. And he tells me, I don't want you to become a realtor. I want you to become an inside sales agent. And I'm like, all right, tell me more about what the hell that is. I'd never heard the term. And he talks about how they generate leads online and they get somebody to call them back and book appointments with the realtor. And you make a portion of the commission from just booking the appointments. Wow. And this is back in 2010 or 2009. So the online space was pretty fresh for doing this kind of reverse prospecting stuff. I'm in my late teens. I'm coming out of college or early 20s coming out of college. And I'm hearing this guy telling me about this inside sales agent. And all I'm thinking is, am I becoming a telemarketer? Is that really what I just signed up to? Like, what the hell? But I decided to give it a chance because I'm like, whoa, a commission payment? That seems pretty cool. And he was talking about the potential to make the money and you just need to read a script. It's people that are asking you to call back. So I'm like, okay, let's give this a shot. But I'll tell you this, Matt, first call. For those who might be watching this podcast on a visual element, you would recognize something about the fact that I have a very pasty white skin, all right? (laughs) And if this guy gets uncomfortable he gets very lobster looking real fast. All right. And so I pick up the phone and I do the first call and my voice is so damn shaky on that call. 
and I'm trying to do my opening line, which is just, hi there, my name is Jason. I'm calling from ABC Real Estate, and I just got your request to get the home evaluation and know that I'll be emailing it to you in the next 24 hours. Is that okay? And the plan of the script was like, the moment they say that, okay, they say yes, then I keep going, but they go, yeah, fine, thanks, and they hang up, and then my boss walks in, and I'm just there, lobster red, sweating, shaking, (laughs) and he's just like, are you okay? I'm like, they just hung up on me. And he starts laughing. <laughs> and I'm just like, I, in my head, I'm like, hell no, I ain't going to do this. This is the worst thing ever. And I'm terrified. I'm like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. This is uncomfortable. And he reassures me. He's like, I swear this doesn't usually happen. It's so funny. That happens on your first call. Give it another shot. Please keep dialing. And every dial takes so much energy. Yeah. Next one, like yeah. next one, voicemail. And then finally I get one person I talk to. They're just a human. I follow the script there. Oh my God, they're following along. This is interesting. And then I end up booking an appointment and I'm like, that was lovely. Nice. Now I had to taste. Now I had to taste. And now I'm like, okay, I think I can do this. So I did that for like a year. And uh, man, I was banging out hundred calls a day. And I got into the flow, built a team, hired the team, trained the team. And that was where I got really hardcore into sales. So a little bit of a long story, but I hope the takeaway somebody can get is if you're getting into sales and you're having that nervousness, that's a mandatory graduation step from your first calls. But then you get the first taste and then you get into it. You get fun. Like riding a bike, as they say. Absolutely. This is the rite of passage that you are required to face in the in the arena of sales is you're required to have that first little or big rejection where you question everything and you go through or you don't and you made it through. How, how did you go to that next call? Because that, you were crushed. He hung up. The boss is laughing. How did you actually make it through? For those of us out there who were like, ah, that first big rejection, how did you pass just to get to the next call? What happened at that moment? I wish it would be more memorable because this would have been about 15 years ago. And maybe that there's a clue into that. I, I feel like it was just a process of suck it up, brother. Just pick up the phone, do another one. Okay, they didn't answer, do another one. Then somebody answered, just talk to them. And like, it wasn't anything magic. It wasn't like, so I pulled up my pants and I tightened my belt and I, you know, went into the mirror and I was like, I was going to, there was none of that. I think it was more like a, all right, let's do it. Almost like a, I don't want to say a defeated air, but it's a, a surrender to it. Just keep going. Just keep doing a couple more and then see what happens. And it's, it was enough for maybe comparing it more to a sport. It's just like, you know, imagine you're running and you start running and oh, you get a cramp and then you slow down. And then you're like, but I said I was going to do a mile. Let's just keep walking. Let's just walk a bit. Okay. I think the cramp's gone. Maybe I can jog a bit. All right. Okay. Oh my God. Look, I made some distance. Let's keep going. And then suddenly you realize you're running and you finished a mile. Maybe you're doing one every day now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on this. I remember my first rejection, my first time ever facing the phone to make calls and set appointments. And I've literally got no, like three straight no's. And I was questioning, do I stop doing this? And then I thought, no, I cannot stop because the person that hired me, I was selling Cutco knives, right? Which a lot of great people have come out of Cutco because it's a great, battleground, a great place to learn sales. And I remember getting those first three no's. Do I quit? Do I stop? There's no way I could have stopped because the person that hired me, I had a crush on her name was Melissa. And I could not face going back to training and saying that I couldn't make any calls. I was scared to make calls. You know, that would have 
showed Melissa that I was scared and I could not show that. So that was it. it, it yeah, I remember that because it was painful, man. I hated getting those no's. I hated <laughs> even more the thought about Melissa rejecting me yeah. because I was scared to make calls. I have to say this, this is a story I usually share in more, more private circles, but I do a lot of public speaking now, but I'm also the guy that would turn like a lobster in front of a stage, terrified of public speaking. And I had a similar thing because in university, I always had to do group projects in business school. And I just remember doing a presentation, froze up, had to turn my back to the audience, take a breath, start again, reading a script with a paper in my hand. And if the paper's in your hand, it shakes so much. It's just really making it worse. And of course, there's a part of my head that's just, wow, there's no girl that's ever going to be attracted to me if I'm just this bubbly, useless fool when it comes to public speaking. So that that's enough to kick your butt. And I think that's something that you have to overcome. And once you do, it's like you've discovered a superpower. Once you've unlocked like the telephone sales, like see, you went through this. There's so many successful people have started with the phones. I think that's the battleground that gives you the calluses to just keep going in every other scenario. But so many of my good friends that are having a lot of success in life right now start on the phone, sales on the phone, talking to stranger. That's a belief we've all been told as children. And it's one of the biggest ones we have to overcome to have sales success. So Going on the phone, calling strangers is your quickest way to overcome that block and actually go out there and start making some good moves when it comes to sales. Yeah, I, I'm feeling very, very stoic. Ryan Holiday, ego is the enemy, the obstacle is the way right now type quotes that what you just shared that, yeah, if you want to overcome it, we don't just run away from it. It, it won't go away. We've got to go at it and I go with that fear and good to connect with someone who can state that out loud, who's, who's done that. And I'm, I'm curious, Jason... What is it that's hard for you now or that's challenging for you now as someone who's you know, mastered sales and who's successful in their business at a young age? What do you find challenging or difficult now? Mastered is a strong word. So maybe I'll go back to your initial humble comment. So I will pu pull on that. I'd say my like 2023 from the outside perspective, I'm pretty sure looked pretty smooth. Like people look in the podcast, got the best guests coming on. It's growing. Uh, had the team grow as well. But I'll be honest, like it was a beginning of a year that was very uh, negative on the cash flow. There was a lot of business that I was operating, which was actually serving a lot of my B2C clients. One of the big audiences that I attract with a message like selling with love are people that actually really hate sales. And if you're somebody that really hates sales, you've more than likely have some level of struggle with mastering the accumulation of money. Sales is at the precipice of accumulating money. It's just one of those skills that's so key for you to have a command of finances to be able to get what you want in life. And it, it spills into every other area of your life, but the finances particularly become much more limited if you have difficulty selling yourself. My, even worse, if you fear it. But my message has been calling to a lot of the people that I want to help, that I see have good hearts, want to make an impact, and sales is just in the way for the success that they're looking for. And what I what I found very interesting is that I've had a lot of these techniques and principles and, and methodologies to be more effective at selling that I've been wanting to teach and I have been teaching to this group for the longest of times, but only to realize that the number one thing that actually is necessary when you're at those stages are not as much techniques and strategies about sales, but uh, do I dare say it? It's the mindset and the psychology around sales. And it's not something that I felt I was the best at the world at teaching. And to me, that was a, I could feel the resistance. And we talk about being very enthusiastic, what we said at the beginning, 
I was realizing I wasn't excited about serving this segment with psychology support. And it was very difficult for them to put together the funds to have the amount of access that they wanted to get psychological help from me. And I was facing this issue. And it's funny because I teach this to my team and to my students, which is if you were going to be doing business, you got to make sure that what you provide as a solution actually makes a difference. I always suggest it's fun to have people that are going to be fun to do business with or a little more. If you had a choice, why not choose that? You want to make sure they're easy to identify and target so you can have a way to really identify who you want to do business. So like, are they targetable with ads? Are they in certain groups that you can actually have access to them? And then do they have the money available to pay for your products and services? So I'm at a place where I'm realizing that people don't necessarily have the, the financial means to pay for my products and service. And my solution is not necessarily the most useful for that target market. So there's a big mismatch. And then I'm realizing my own method that I teach is not even being followed, but I do care about supporting these people as best as possible. So I actually had to pull the brakes on my whole business this year. And I had to hit the reset button. I had to have some difficult conversations with the team. I had to let some go. And my biggest thing is realizing like, where's the place that I can take my skills and make the biggest impact. Mm -hmm. So I've actually completely dismantled my B2C business offerings. And uh, I realized that when I get to work with my single clients, like not maximum five corporations that actually have an existing brand. And I come in and I get to unleash their team with sales methodologies, techniques, it's such a leveraged impact and so fun and exciting for me that the whole year has been just a turnaround from just tens of thousands in the red all the way into Q1 to just putting everything on pause and then coming around. And the, the more interesting thing, which I think is going to be a takeaway for anybody listening here, is me being so worried, hanging on to the old business model mm -hmm. was actually preventing me from looking at the opportunities that were right in front of me, accessible, easy, and lucrative. And there's a fantastic gentleman been on my show and, and he, he used the term elf. How do you build a business that's easy, fun, and lucrative? This is Joe Polish. Yeah. Fantastic gentleman. Easy, fun, lucrative. If you're going to be building a business, why not make it easy, fun, and lucrative? And we often are the ones who are in our own way by hanging on to things that are no longer serving us. And there's so many memes that usually represent this, like the child that's like feeling like they're drowning and they're holding onto the ladder only realize the water is super shallow. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of moments and fears that we're actually holding on to stuff like that because the moment you do let go, then you realize I'm in an ocean of opportunity and this is not even dangerous. So now I got my eyes open and I can actually move forward without panic. And so that's been my challenge this year. And it's, it's been quite the journey, but it ends on a high note. <laughs> I, I, I love that you had the vulnerability to share that. And, and what comes up for me when I hear you share the story, Jason, is how do you ensure that you don't make that same mistake again, where you get so you know into this, this tree that you missed the forest, or you don't see that switching models or evolving your current model is probably for the best because you were locked in on that one, got to do it this way. I mean, how, do you, how do you keep that mistake from repeating? I don't know if I necessarily label it as a mistake as much as it was just a, a point, a stop along the journey. I don't think I would have been as ready as I am to serve the clients that I serve if I wouldn't have went through that journey anyway. So it's almost like, do I want to prevent it or is this just the path? I think if I'm trying to prevent all these mistakes, then I'm not moving at all. Did I learn a ton? Did I get to serve people? Did I create case studies? Did I build programs and material that I'm now like some of the B2C stuff that I'm using, I get them at, I do training workshops and I still use that material to put into a workshop for a group of CEOs. So like nothing was put to waste. And I think the only thing that would be like a regretted opportunity is just if you haven't, you're just so paralyzed to not move anywhere, you're not even taking chances. Now what's great 
is I know for a fact that I'm not the best to serve this audience, but I've made some partners that are really good at serving that audience. And now I can be an affiliate to them. That's a bit more fun. But that one thing I do neglect and, and I have to keep myself on top of is the joy factor is actually more important than we realize. If you're finding a spark of joy in what you're doing, it's usually a clue that you should continue down that path. And so for me, it's as soon as I see, oh my God, I'm having joy here, keep going. If the joy is leaving, you have to start saying, am I procrastinating or am I trying to give up on something too quick? Or is there a signal I need to pivot about? And that's something you need to discover. And I'm not going to give a prescription to anyone because everyone's unique and their journey is unique. But the momentum and the forward movement, I think is the best idea you can do. <laughs> yes. And to build, always build, never, but always and always building. You hear your thinking is spot on here. I call this eternal optimist thinking that it wasn't a mistake. It was what needed to happen for me to gain the experience to have this new level of thinking that I can share with people and teach to this experience. I may have misspoke when I said the word mistake, whether it happened on purpose or not, it happened and you can learn from it. So you've learned from it and your experience is guiding you. Just such a key nugget out there, dear listener, to hear what Jason just shared. It wasn't a mistake. There's no such thing as failure. It's stuff happens and we can learn. You can use that as a springboard. And Jason just did that beautifully. So fantastic. We're getting ready to go into 2024. And I'm curious, what is the uh, immediate, like one day, one week, one month vision or the year? Or what's next in the world for you, Jason, that you're passionate about? Well, one of the key things I, I, I would do regularly, and again, this, this is very, this is going to be interesting to open up on. So I have a, a one page strategic plan that I complete every year. And uh, this is inspired by Scaling Up, Rockefeller Habits, uh, Vern Harnish, um, and Growth Institute, just given the credits where the credits do. This is a model that allows you to set three year, one year, big, hairy, audacious goals, have your values, all that stuff laid out in a single page. And then you use that as a roadmap. And what's very interesting is three years ago, I had made that blueprint for what would be the ideal business that I always wanted to do. And I put it on hold because I went to launch a book called Selling with Love. And I went into this B2C business that ended up being something I needed to correct. And when I did that self-discovery and I took that step away and put everything on pause, I started building everything around what I'm doing now was actually a reflection to the original business plan that was there before the book. And so I realized that I already had the blueprint. My, my soul was already screaming out about what to do. And it was a, basically, I had to go do this little side quest and then I came back right on track. And to me, what it is right now is I think we're having a crisis of consciousness on the planet. And I think that there's some amazing spiritual teachers out there um, that are raising consciousness on the planet. God, do we ever need it? Like technology is moving fast. It's exponential. But as humans, we don't know how to handle it. We need some guidance. A lot of our structures that would hold our spirit together have been less accessible, slightly perverted. People have drifted away. So how do we do movements that allow people to come back and be reconnected so that we actually treat each other like good humans and realize we're on this rock floating together and we need to stop this conflict, stupidity stuff. So spirituality, I think, is a very important aspect. And what I realize is there's a lot of amazing spiritual teachers that just don't understand the sales and marketing side, and I can help them tremendously. So to me, if I think about the big, hairy, audacious goal, long-term vision is I want to work with the best spiritual authors that are trying to raise human consciousness and support them in, in the best way possible, basically be their guardian angels for the business. So I can come in and make sure they're not like 
my God, there's so much cutthroat abuse and like ripoff and scams that happen for people that are in that space. So I want to come in, I can audit them, bring in the team, bring in the results. And that brings me a lot of joy. And that's been what I've been focused on and excited about these days. It doesn't make me like go of the mission around selling with love. That whole thing's around like douchebag marketers and salespeople exist. But if we treat good people with the tools on how to sell effectively, there'll be no marketplace for douchebags. I mean, that's yeah. those are my two big things I'm really excited about. I would call that the eternal optimist of capitalism right there is you know, selling with love and doing it from a genuine place of wanting to serve people and love for people, not just get the money and run or get the money and give them surface level stuff and, and then just, hey, you guys go figure all of it out. I, I love the way that you do everything with care. I love the way that you just shared and gave scaling up uh, the one page business plan. You gave all, all the credit to that. World-class is what I'm feeling in your presence here, Jason, what you're sharing. So I, I go to this idea of the crisis and the consciousness of, of the planet, and I feel it too. I feel every time you turn on a, a message, there's someone just trying to sell you some get-rich-quick or some, here's the easy pill to take to make it so simple, or they're playing to, those people over there are wrong. Come over here and be right. I just feel so much division out there, <laughs> and the concept of selling with love and wanting to serve the spiritual leaders who have this message of love. And when it comes all down to it, this may sound like a really uh, highfalutin, this big, soft, and puffy concept, sell with love. I don't believe that. I believe that this is the foundation of how we are going to save the world, of how we are going to help the world heal, is to do everything with genuine care for other humans. I just kudos to you for just expressing that. that that's what I heard, by the way, when you were speaking, is save the world. I thought that TV show yeah. Heroes back at NBC back in the day, really. I, I thought that you are here to save the world. You are like the positive side of Siler. That was like the evil guy, but you're oh. the good side of him. You understand how things work gonna, through love. <laughs> I'm going to show you a little fun thing here. Oh. I don't have a superhero chair for no reason. Yeah, see this chair on YouTube and, team. Look at this. This is cool. <laughs> so uh, I basically have a Superman branded chair, but what I found really interesting, I didn't realize it till I got the Superman chair, is the colors for Superman are red and blue. And then my book branding are the same colors as Superman. And I'm, so this is not the Superman chair. This is the sales chair. <laughs> ah, nice. I would grab it right now. I have a Superman head cover on my golf clubs. I've got bobbleheads over here, oh. superheroes. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a super superhero kind of person too. So uh, I, I can appreciate the chair. You got to check this out I'll on YouTube. Your link. This is super cool. <laughs> this is super freaking cool. This chair that Jason has. I think this might actually, this is now in first place of all time guests on the podcast, 130 plus guests, best chair. Now belongs Jason Mark Campbell. So you may clap for him now. Recognition. Now we need to go get some affiliate links for Secret Lab so that if we're plugging the chair that we're getting at least a residual. <laughs> because we are selling with love and, and everyone can benefit from this. Yes, I, I like this and <laughs> so many places to go. And I want to stick with this crisis of consciousness consciousness on the planet for a moment, because this is the reason why I have a podcast. It's because I believe that there's so much challenge, so much negative thought, so much divisiveness being plugged into our minds, and even so much addiction, whether you know it or not, on social mm -hmm. media or wherever it is. I want this to be a bastion of hope and a place where people can go to hear a story of success, to hear someone who has a positive thinking mindset, to hear stories of how you can do it too. And I think you're doing that brilliantly today. So that's my version of how we're going to solve the crisis of uh, consciousness in the planet is put more good out there. It's real simple. Put good out there. Let good people do good things and put it out there. That's why I have a podcast. I'm curious about yours. When did you start? Because I've listened to a few episodes. You've had some really big people on there and you've had some great in-depth exploration of sales and the mindset. I'm curious of 
Why did you start the podcast? Yeah, it was an interesting set of intents. So I used to work for an organization that was called Mind Valley, and I have so much love for that being a springboard for a lot of my career, at least after my real estate days, because I went off, started my own real estate company, did some real estate investments in America. Then I helped a lot of other entrepreneurs that were doing some real estate stuff. And then I found myself working for this organization, Personal Growth Development, Mind Valley. And I've always been somebody that was very engaged in the organization. I rose to the leadership team, one of the fastest there. Having salesmanship was definitely an advantage. But then also just always being so focused on providing massive value in any role that I had. And I've had many roles within that organization. And there's been times where they were putting together, let's say I launched one of their first uh, subscription program. And I wanted to have a kickoff webinar, but I need to be at a good time zone. So it was at like six in the morning. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to sleep in the office. I'll get this launch done. And then at 6 a.m., I'll jump on a webinar and let's do it. I'm talking to you at 11 p.m. I've always had these random times that I would just be like, if I can show up, let's do it. And so while I was working there, I was putting myself in front of camera. I was supporting people. I was taking initiative. And then there were some opportunities that came my way where I could be on camera. I could be put in front of an audience. I got on some stages Gosh, the first time I did a talk on selling with love was on a Mind Valley stage, but they didn't want to put me on stage. I was the guy doing the AV at the back. Like I was a volunteer going to events, helping speakers get mic'd up. I was talking to the Lisa Nichols and all the other like big speakers that were coming to this mega stage, people paying thousands of dollars to go see world class speaker. And I remember going to the founder saying, Hey, I have this talk. It's about selling with love. And I think people are going to love it. If you put me on stage, I'll be one of your best speakers, guaranteed. And they were like, You're a nobody. That's cute, but go back to the back, bro. You're the AV guy. And then the universe was just like, it goes back to what we're saying there with positive expectation. What's the worst they could say is yes. I went to prepare slides, man. I had my slides ready. I didn't get the spot to speak, but I prepared the presentation. Then the speaker canceled. And then I said, guys, I have my slides ready. Put me on stage. They said, no, we have another speaker that's on the way uh, and we'll give the spot to him because again, you're the AV kid. And then that speaker got stuck at the border because of visa issues. And then they're like, this is last minute. Now they have no choice and they're like, the slot's coming up and I'm giving one instruction. Don't mess this up. (laughs) Nice. And I'm like, Roger that. I get on stage. I had my slides ready. You can find that presentation. The greatest expression of love is sales. And you'll see me rocking it 2015, no shoes on, colored socks, because you know it was a trend back then. Why not? And hey, right after that, found out I got voted best 20 minute talk of the event. And so nice. that nice, man. started getting attention. So I know it's a long winded answer, but always putting myself out there. And then it seemed to have this luck on my side for everything I would do. At one point, they wanted to go into the business field and they said, We want to launch a podcast. We think you'd be the best host. So published by Mind Valley, they launched the podcast for me. And and then it was very interesting because when COVID came in, I've been running this podcast for two years. And then the company were doing a lot of restructuring and they were doing a lot of simplification. And they're like, you know what? I think we want to go back to one podcast. And to me, I said, I'd love to have the rights to keep running mine. And so I already had video editors, audio editors, and a team ready to do that. And they basically gave me the podcast and said, please go out there and support. And you've given us so much in the company. We're going to give you the podcast and we know you're going to do good by it. And so now I still have the former leadership team of my that will sometime come in as guests. I had my 2 million plus downloads that came. A lot of mailing came from my value. So that gave it the initial kick that it needed. That's an unfair advantage for someone starting a podcast to get an email list that's driving you a ton of traffic. But it was earned media. I worked there for seven years. You know what I mean? So 
A lot of times it's, hey, where are your leveraged opportunities? Like you think about this podcast, I could have started it without any of the momentum, but I found myself choosing a path, which was like, hey, I'll work for this great organization that's providing me powerful connections and they're supporting me in my career too. And now guess what? I launched the podcast with the best possible pow. And now I get to keep the momentum and I rebranded it to my thing, which is selling with love. And now it's been going on for, is it four years now? I think it's four years we're running. Nice. Yeah, four years and 400 plus episodes. It's insane to think about. And that's a long answer to your question. <laughs> that was a fantastic answer. I can imagine. I just, you had nothing to lose. You offered it up there. Hey, I'm ready to go on stage. Just, it happened to be that the other speakers couldn't make it and you were ready. You were prepared. You weren't just BS. You asked and you were ready and you delivered and good for you, man. That's just another story of you know, someone making it happen. Love it. I was going to Toastmasters before that event just because I was like, I got this stage presentation I want to give and I need to practice it, polish it. Let's I do see. it. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, you got to be a little crazy about that. But yeah, I guess one thing I want to make sure people capture from this, because I find this is one of the things that I see a lot of entrepreneurship encouragement, which is a great thing. But I think people are very quick to disregard the power of being employed. And I think for people that are looking to get the leg up, there's a lot of apprenticeship mastery especially if you're trying to develop a skill, you are so much faster inside an ecosystem and an organization and it's a lot less risky. So depending on your risk appetite, don't knock off the possibility of work going into workplace to, ma- to have an accelerated learning and a leveraged learning experience. And then you can decide if entrepreneurship's right for you. Yeah, absolutely. What a great piece of wisdom there that, that say you dive headfirst to entrepreneurship without any apprenticeship, without any real learning underneath someone else. You just want to go and do it and you fail the first time. And if it hurts enough, you might not ever get back up. Right? And same time, I had an entrepreneurial business and I did really well at it. And then I spent all the money and then I failed and then did it again. And now here we are finding major success. And, and we found it before, but we lost it. Now we know a little bit more how to hold on to it. And I just think about the different lessons in the life cycle of an entrepreneur and the one that was just shared team apprenticeship, a place to hone your craft uh, and being an employee or a teammate for someone else's company, that could be the ideal path for a number of entrepreneurs getting started or those that fail at first and then need to go and sharpen before they do it again. So great perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And listen, I I could be totally wrong too. What I love with what you just shared there is I I think we're so obsessed with finding the prescription that we forget our uniqueness in our own path. And yeah, maybe not. Who knows? Try it out. See what happens. (laughs) That's right. The worst thing you can get is a little bit of experience. And if you're really present, maybe you enjoy the journey. Maybe you meet some people. (laughs) True that. Talk to me about your book. When did your book come out and how did we find it? Yeah. So the book is Selling with Love. It came out two years ago. And okay. that was a two-year process to produce as well. And it, it came to the question was very simple. Like I was very passionate about this message of teaching selling with love, or if we want to use alternative word, how to sell with care or okay. how to lead the sale. I just find selling with love just gives a, it attracts a certain audience and it speaks more directly to the values that I want to promote. But when I knew this message was really important to share and I was chatting with some friends that I respect and I was like, okay, is this something you should create a course? 
this is something, is this the podcast? What, what, how do I get this message as far and deep as possible? And as we start talking, my friend says something really deep. His name's Colton. Really appreciate them planting the seed to me. And he's like, if you have an idea that's serious enough, it needs to have a book that supports it. Like the book is the oldest medium, right? It lasts. It gives you credibility. It's the one thing. If you decide to take on something challenging, like writing a book, then you know that you care enough about putting your idea in the world. Anybody can put together a course in a quick way. And there's so many people that are selling the programs. Don't even build anything and sell your course and get your people to give you feedback on what to create. There's value in that. But if you want it to last and you want to build something that's an asset that gives you the credibility, gets you the chance to go speak, basically the book was my ace. That was the hole in one. So I was like, yeah, if I do the book, then everything else follows and leads from that. And yeah, it's been really interesting launching a book. And then, my God, going through the launch, anxiety, but fun, but crazy and depressed and like, oh. What was the anxiety? What was the anxiety about the launch time for you? Uh, who the hell am I to write a book? And oh my God, nobody's going to buy this. People are going to leave one-star reviews. They'll tell me I'm a piece of shit. And I'm, I'm sorry for my language, but like my negative mindset can take over. And it's so funny. I actually have a document where I put in all my worst fears about putting out the book. I was like, people will laugh at me. It'll sell nothing. Haha, <laughs> you put out a book on sales. You didn't even sell the book. You're stupid. People are going to be coming to me in my 80 years old say, you remember when you tried writing a book and you never finished it? Ha, <laughs> you're a useless person. You fail at everything and no one will take you seriously. Like I wrote the meanest things I would tell myself and I itemized it. And then one by one, I went, okay, what can I do to make sure that doesn't happen? What can I do to make sure that doesn't happen? How can I change that into a win so that I'm actually fueled to do greatness because I don't want this negative thing to happen neither? And this is actually, I was working with an organization that supported me self-publishing my book, which was Scribe. And they took that from Tim Ferriss, who had given a talk on fear solving. And so the whole process was basically fear solving. So all that came through, but man, we, we hit the bestseller list on Amazon, sold thousands of copies. We got an audiobook out. The reviews are fantastic. And so I'm like, wow, that turned out pretty damn good. And I, I get random messages from people around the world. I have these clients that reach out to me, these CEOs from India, and I'm doing some presentations with them. And I'm like, that all happens because of a book. So there's some magic there. And so, yeah, it's a nice thing. It's a big endeavor though. And it, it definitely weeds out those who aren't serious about putting their work on paper. I like a challenge and I like that it was hard and I'm very proud that I got it done. And so I'm very happy I got it done before AI was out because I feel like now anybody who comes out with a book, people are going to be like, did you write it or was it an AI? And so mine came out before the era AI. So I can be like, yeah, I wrote mine AI free, baby. <laughs> nice. Hey, I just got so, so much appreciation, respect for you, Jace, for sharing something that was hard and, and fearful for you back in the day when you were launching and just the anxieties that came around that. And uh, it just goes to show you, dear listeners, that even superhumans with superhuman chairs have anxiety around big <laughs> stuff that's happening. And it continues to happen throughout anyone's life. We all reach some level and then we hit the plateau. And then we got to go for the next level. And then the next level, if that's the way you think, at least. I mean, all of us hit a plateau and, and you had one around 
books and you overcame it and you can share it out loud. It's, that's the level of vulnerability and authenticity that I say totally qualifies you to be the master of selling with love is authentic and genuinely wanting to share your stuff. That to me, that's like a masterclass right there and how you do it. So that was pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> if I can help some people, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you just said two things that really, that really just got my mind going down the rabbit hole. You mentioned, uh, you know, Tim Ferriss and the fear of solving or fear setting exercise. I remember seeing that for the first time in Tools of Titans uh, back in 2016 mm-hmm. at Christmas. So I remember that exercise. I've got bookmarked on my uh, Google Chrome here uh, mm-hmm. and I do it every once in a while. So I, that's something, if you've not heard of that listener, Jason and I have that in common. That's a great exercise. And then you mentioned Scribe. And the person who used to own Scribe is in a group I'm in. And I know him pretty well. And I, and I think about huh. Scribe. How did you come to meet Scribe and why them? Because a lot of people out there don't know how to write a book, where to write a book, how to get it going. And I'm curious how you came in, in touch with Scribe back in the day. Yeah. This is very interesting. Again, the power of being in a right career is one of the roles I was at in Mind Valley towards the end of my time there, as I was actually the manager for the authors. And I was actually looking for guests to come onto the Mind Valley podcast, which eventually put me in the role for launching my own podcast. So Scribe would pitch me their authors to come on my show. Ah, okay. So as I'm running the podcast and I'm trying, they're always saying, Hey, we have these great guests and we want to put them on your show. That's actually how I got the chance to meet and organize the interview with David Goggins that happened in New York, which is probably a household name for most people listening to this. But right when he was launching his book, cause he did it with scribe, the scribe guys reached out to me and then I was like, okay, let's coordinate the interview. And we made it happen. I got to shake his hand. Dude is solid. I really appreciate that. And I, I have it in my vision board about the fact that I have my picture with David Goggins, but super that's, cool. That's a lot. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll brag about that one. No more humbleness. I got Goggins on a picture. Oh, yeah. Dude, that's super freaking cool, man. Because that's the episode that I went and listened to first on your show. Uh, there you go. So, there you super go. Super cool. Uh, wow. Um, but then, in essence, yeah, since I had their contact, then when that idea of writing a book came up, then I was like, hey, let me reach out to Scribe. And I knew that was Tucker Max. I'd heard a book in a box. I was just in those circles. And I'd read all of Tucker Max's previous work uh-huh. around his teen years or college years. So those were a little more spicy. And uh, yeah, I basically went to their workshop and I got to meet with uh, Tucker Max. And uh, I really, he, he gave me the vibes of this very intimidating person that but cared about you. Yes. And he actually is someone that put a lot of uh, pressure on the outline of the book. And so he's played a part in shaping the book. And I quote him in the book because the way that I had structured the language on my selling with love categories, he had he had some strong feedback because initially I had three loves in selling. And while we had some conversations and he helped edit, he was like, listen, there's something that's not being captured as uniquely because I see a big problem where people fall in love with their product, but they forget about the problem that they're solving. And I was like, oh yeah, that's, I had a way of iterating it, but it wasn't divided in a more comprehensive place. So it became the five loves of selling. And that was in big part because of Tucker's feedback. And so, yeah, using this assisted system, they took care of everything that was a variable for me to publish a book was like, how the hell do I get started? How do I do the editing? How do I put it up and publish it? How do I make sure that all these things are taken care of? They're like, we do that. We'll guide you. You just write, we'll edit, and you'll be good to go. It was a seamless process. It was pretty powerful. And then it was my own mindset. I had to challenge myself all the time and procrastination and all those things. That's why it took two years. I think writing a book is a nine-month process that requires a little more months just to figure out your own shit. (laughs) (laughs) What a good story, man. 
How do we find out more about you? What's the, the site we go to or the uh, social media account where we can learn more with you and from you, Jason? Yeah, I think if anybody's got listened to this and said like selling with love sounds like something I need to pay attention to, then Google it. Selling with love, you'll find everything, the YouTube, the Instagram, all that stuff. One thing I always encourage people that listen to podcasts is if you go to LinkedIn, this is the place for salespeople and you come and connect with me, do add a note, mention you've heard me on this show. I have some free courses I usually give out to anybody who reaches out to me on LinkedIn. If they add a note and they've done at least that, I'll usually be able to connect, reply and send out some freebies. So Ask and you shall receive, and I'll be happy to connect and, uh, and help anybody that's going through anything. Heck yeah, man. Fantastic. Ding, we're here at the lightning round at the very end here, Jason. So appreciate you at 1130 at night in Indonesia. So I, you already mentioned uh, Napoleon Hill and a number of other books and, and authors. I'm curious if there's one or two books on your Mount Rushmore that have had a lot of value to you over time. What might your one or two on your Mount Rushmore be? I think one of the books that really shaped my way of thinking was one of the OG ones, which would be 4-Hour Workweek. I know you've mentioned the Tools of the Titan, Tim Ferriss, but 4-Hour Workweek really opened my mind to a lot of the possibilities. And this was like early days of the internet, so that was pretty catalyst. Think and Grow Rich was one of those first ones. I don't think it's my favorite, but it's the one that caught me going like, ooh, personal growth is an interesting thing. And then I just started reading a whole lot more stuff about that. So, mm. But right now, I'm in the middle of success principles, Jack Canfield stuff. And so that that's some gold nuggets right there. So I'm having some fun. That keeps me company on the runs that are a little more than a mile now. So at least I got a good audiobook with me. Awesome. How about music? What fills your bucket, your soul? An artist or a song or ooh. a genre? I like hip hop, man. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, I, I got my uh, my rap caviar playlist on Spotify. That gets me in the zone. That has some fun, and uh, yeah, puts a smile on my face. <laughs> awesome. Last question here, Jason. When you hear the name of our show, the Eternal Optimist Podcast. What might Eternal Optimist mean to you? Mm -hmm. I love that. I think it's keeping your head up. I think it's just realizing that if you hold on to hope, you're actually going to be one of the people that have signed up to making that hope become a reality. So we need a lot more hopeful people in the world. Like we were talking about this consciousness going up. I think if you're an eternal optimist, then you're going to be someone that holds on to the hope even through the darkest times. And we need those people to carry, to sign up and to do that. And so if you're signing up to be one of the eternal optimists, I tip my hat to you. Welcome to the team and let's get to work. <laughs>